What is living in lockdown like? As the world tries to make sense of the coronavirus and South Africa is knee-deep in a government-initiated lockdown, we'll be hearing from different voices what they're up to and how they're handling living in the lockdown. Dr. Dennis Goodman is a cardiology professor at New York University. He's currently locked down in California where his daughter just had a baby and he's staying with friends there. We thought it would be a good opportunity to catch up with him in Living in Lockdown, our new feature on cliffcentral.com. Are you good? I'm extremely well. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the world at the moment. I think all of us are. Um, it's really just this, this thing has caught everyone off guard and I think... There might be an overreaction, but at the same time, you know, we might not be doing enough. Who knows? Yeah. No, you're right. I think it's all about who knows, and we don't have enough information. Yeah. We're getting new information every day, but every day we get stuff that actually makes it a little more confusing. Yeah. Uh, like now, for example, to give you an example, we initially said it doesn't seem to make a difference whether you wear a mask or not in terms of protecting yourself. Mm. Uh the basic mask. We're not talking PPE now, but um, we said masks are for people who are sick, yeah. and that's the way you help to prevent spread by them not passing it on. But now they're talking about maybe we should be wearing these things because this is one of the things I'm really concerned about, that, that maybe this is spreading not only by droplet spread, but there is an aerosolized compo component, which yeah. means that it's floating around in the air for a couple of hours, there was a study recently that showed that. So that means you can be standing next to somebody theoretically uh, and, um, you know, it's in the air. They don't have to sneeze in your face or the droplets don't have to drop on you. And we're all in the same boat. You know, we have to realize that everyone's vulnerable. And I think that's what's, what's changed this. doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't we know who old, are more vulnerable. Doesn't matter how healthy, doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how, how rich, exactly. how poor, any of that stuff, you know. Exactly. So. And I think that's that is actually sobering. Yeah. You, 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 we're all in the same boat. Yeah, and I think also, you know, everybody has their own way of dealing with this and, and there's a mental health component and there's a there's a connecting with other people component to it and and keeping fit and healthy indoors because now you can't go out. Um, so you are in, where are you, in, in California? I'm actually in San Diego. Now, as you know, you know, we live in New York, mm -hmm. and um, I landed up coming to San Diego because my daughter had a baby, and then I, you know, kind of got stuck here, yeah. uh, which, you know, I'm actually almost feel guilty because a lot of my colleagues and friends and are, are working really, really under stress and strain. Uh, doing yeoman's job at NYU where I am, right. but I'm doing virtual stuff as much as I can. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, I don't want to get back on an aeroplane. No, uh, at and, this and, moment in time. And what I mean, New York is like the epicenter of this thing in the U.S. right now. But what's California like? Is is it quite stringent? Are there are there very strict rules about the lockdown? Yeah. Now they, you know, they are they are also in lockdown, um, and. You know, the governor already uh, almost 10 days ago said everybody should be, you know, in lockdown. But they allow people to go out okay. and uh, you can go walk and you can exercise. Uh, there hasn't been – there isn't a situation where there's, you know, policemen and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, military on the streets because right. it hasn't got to that point. So it feels a little bit 
easier. But I must tell you, I, I'm staying at a friend. And when I go back and visit my daughter, you know, she questions me. Yeah. Where have you been? Yeah. Are you socially distancing? And I feel terribly responsible for, for possibly bringing in the enemy. And I've got a little baby, you know, that's one week old. Yeah. So I don't go near the baby. I'm six feet right. away. That's terrible. And I think, one of, I think to your point, one of the hardest things about this is people are under stress and we can't get close to each other. So it's one of these ironies where we, we have to stick together. We have to work together by being apart. Yeah. It's, it's and, a totally new that, paradigm. It's, that is a shocker. You can't come, you know, give your daughter a hug or your partner or your spouse or your friends where people, when people are stressed, they, they want to, you know, hug each other. Yeah. And here we like, yeah, they don't come too close. That, that's how you would talk to somebody if you, you, you know, you didn't like them. <laughs> so, <laughs> a few things I want to ask you as a doctor. I mean, this is interesting because it seems also to affect people who have heart conditions which I think is interesting. Obviously, it's mainly uh, it, it's doing most of its damage in the lungs, as I understand it. But clearly, at risk are people who have, um, you know, who who already have a pre-existing condition, either heart or lungs or diabetes, in fact. And obviously, older people; those are the ones who are most at risk. Um, have Have you been Have you been looking into the the, the science as it's coming out, or you, or you? Yes, yes, you yes. are. I actually am. And, and, you know, you're absolutely correct. So the cardiovascular story is that people with cardiovascular disease or have cardiac issues are at greater risk. Uh, They fall into that higher risk category, just like people who've got lung disease or elderly. What's elderly? I mean, they're saying over 60. You know, we don't think of elderly like that. No. I mean, that's Uh, young. And and those people don't succumb to this kind of thing usually. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of times in the hospitals – you know, if you're over 65, they're trying to keep you out of the front lines. Yeah. Um, and, and people are aware of this increased risk. But from a cardiac standpoint, let me just say this to you. One of the things that's come out, which is really concerning, is that this doesn't just affect your lungs. You know, the thing about this virus, it gets into the cells. Uh, and it's got a propensity for these cells that are in the inner layer of the lungs, right? Uh, and so what happens is, they infect these cells, and there's something called cilia. So they little, you know, these cilia are, are like little hairs that, that are on the inside of the cells in the lungs, okay? Mm-hmm. If they don't work properly, then you don't get rid of bacteria and other things, viruses. You don't expel them. That's why we cough stuff out when your lungs are rejecting, uh, you know, a foreign, a, a foreign pathogen. Right. So when these cilia are damaged the lung has no defense and these viruses are inside the lung. And a lot of people, unfortunately uh, the the way this works is they get pneumonia Mm. and it spreads across the whole lungs. And I was reading something that really made sense to me that I just wanted to share with you because the way the body fights an infection is initially to try to, you know, wall off uh, an area where there is, where there's a pathogen. Um, and what happens is you send in macrophages and we try to battle it right there locally. But when the body feels overwhelmed, you get in this immune response. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get these cytokines, these inflammatory agents. You could just think of it almost like a military uh, maneuver. 
and they, the cytokine surge goes in and causes destruction because it's almost like dropping a bomb and saying, okay, we got to get rid of this. But you're actually, you've got all these, the, the rest of the healthy life uh, being in, in the way. And, and that's the tragedy of it. The body's mounting an immune response. And uh, it's a little bit, and I hate to use this word of, of a warlike situation yeah. when it comes to the body. But, you know, when you, when you have a, a warlike situation where you have uh, people that are, um, are, are, are around, you know, a, a, a military situ- situation that also get affected and innocent people. Yeah. And that's how the lungs are. So, so that's uh, the collateral, collateral get, damage, right? In collateral, that's the word, exactly. Yeah. It's collateral damage. So when people go on a ventilator, which is when they're really sick, you know, Gareth, if there's a lot of lung damage, then even if you give them uh, oxygen, they develop a situation called ARDS, Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome, where even on a ventilator, you can't give them enough oxygen because the lung tissue is so damaged that you can't get oxygen exchange and that's why people are dying even on a ventilator well that's because otherwise we would just keep everybody alive until they try to get you know until they get better and 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 am i right that the problem is for a lot of people once you're on that ventilator it's tickets i mean you're not going to come back from easily let's just be real you know be, be be try to be accurate about it it's it's a very high risk situation when you get on a ventilator and the older you are the higher the risk yeah. and the longer you're on the ventilator, the higher the risk. So we don't use, you know, the idea that when you're on a ventilator, it's all over is not true, mm. especially in younger patients. Okay. Um, and I know elderly patients right now on ventilators that are alive and have been on ventilators for two or three weeks. Right. So some of them will come out on the other side, mm-hmm. but you're absolutely right. The, the mortality rate in that situation is very, very high. I mean, actually, the initial studies that came out of China, the, the one study I read said that the mortality for patients over 80 was 25%. Sure. So that means, you know, and that's why we're all, we've got to make this point when you, when you talk about trying to educate people that the reason that you really, really are obligated and have to be responsible to society is you can be asymptomatic and pick it up and take it to somebody that's vulnerable. Yeah. That's a very important point. So you inadvertently actually can kill somebody, and it can be somebody close to you. And that's why we have to take this so seriously. But I do want to answer your question about the heart. One issue is that there's increased risk in people who have heart disease. The other issue is that this virus, I told you about the lungs, can affect the heart. Yeah. And we're now showing that it causes inflammation in the heart and something called myocarditis, which is inflammation of the cardiac cells. Right. And when that happens, some patients go into heart failure and what we call cardiogenic shock and can die from the cardiac complications of this virus. So they've had a situation. I've seen case reports of somebody coming into the hospital uh, where they thought they were having a heart attack. The symptoms looked like a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So they took the patient to the cardiac cath lab you know, where we do an angiogram, we put catheters in, we can look at the coronary arteries, yeah. and the arteries were normal. <laughs> in other words, this was not due to a blocked artery. And they checked the person, this person for corona, and they were positive. So they were manifesting cardiac complications of corona, but not because of atherosclerosis and a heart attack. It was 
inflammation of the heart muscle presenting like a heart attack because they were short of breath and in heart failure. Well, that explanation you gave just now of the lungs and you, your comparison to a military sort of offensive is the best explanation I've had through whole, the whole crisis because no one's really explained to me what actually happens and, and why it's so dangerous to people because everyone's saying, well, it's like it's kind of like the common flu, you know, and it's really not by the sound of things. It's not. And that's, and I try to give you the, the reason. Yeah. The reason it's not like the common flu, number one, it's this virus is much more contagious. And number two is what I was telling you about how it goes into cells, particularly the lungs. Yeah. And when the body tries to fight it, it starts with the conventional approach, you know, of sending macrophages and, and sending in basically the way we fight an infection, uh, but then if it doesn't work, we get the surge. Mm. And think about it, as I said, like a military offensive, dropping a bomb. Yeah. You get rid of the enemy, but you get rid of you get rid of the, the healthy lung as well. That's collateral damage. And that someone explained that to me and I said, Well, that suddenly made complete sense yeah. as to why are people getting so sick and why do people die on a ventilator? Mm. Yeah, it makes sense now. Thank you. That's the best explanation I've had. So, Dan, when when you are at uh, NYU practicing, I mean, a lot of your your students are, are hoping to become doctors. A lot of your colleagues there are doctors like you are. Are a lot of them actually getting into the trenches now and, and having to help because New York is under such attack? And, and really, it is it is taking the brunt of this in, in America. Of course, it's going to spread to other places too eventually. What do you think of of this Dr. Uh, Burks or whatever her name is, uh, Binks, or I, I can't even remember her Burks, name. Burks, Burks, Burks. Burks, yes. What yes. do you think of her, res- a- her response and, and, and the, the, the government response in general? What do you think of New York and what's happening there? Well, let me get to your point, which is an excellent one. We are mobilizing all resources possible. To the new NYU has been the first school that's graduated the medical students, the final year students early. Oh, wow. which means they've given them their medical degrees. Now, they have had enough. They've got enough credits. And normally, the graduation ceremony is in June. Yeah. So what they've done is graduated these students that have got enough credits to have their medical degrees and said, you are young doctors, so that they can get their licenses to practice and go into the hospitals. Wow. Now, they are being very, very carefully supervised because they're very young, you know, green doctors. Mm-hmm. But they're coming in and they're part of the workforce. Yeah. And that's to your point. We are doing everything we can and to use as many resources as possible, including, you know, early certification of the of the medical students. The whole American scene here in terms of government, you know, Gareth, I think this is a time not to be political. Yeah. And I am very much on on the side of saying, hey, it's not a time to criticize. Whatever you red state, blue state, Democrat, Republican, independent, we're all vulnerable. We're all at risk. You, you can you can see a perfect scenario where every morning Governor Cuomo from NY, New York, uh, the New York governor is on, on TV here, is on CNN, for spends an hour giving a briefing. He's, he's excellent. He does a great job. Right. And he himself said today, uh, President Trump's been very helpful to me. Because the way it works in the United States, you've only got a certain number of resources locally, yeah, and and in your in your city, and 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 then your county, and then your state. And when they start to get depleted, you have to call in the government, 
Right. So there is a real, you know, crisis of trying to get uh, the supplies you need. And this morning, and I listened to this briefing every morning, Governor Cuomo said one of the issues there aren't enough ventilators. Yeah. So they, they're anticipating a lot more people, you know, getting sick, which is tragic. And maybe a hundred or 200,000 deaths in the United States alone. So I've told you how most people die. So they want to give everybody a chance to get on a ventilator if you need one. Imagine saying we don't have a ventilator for you. Yeah. Then you've got no chance. So they are buying and bidding for ventilators, Gareth, sure. uh, and actually trying to order them from the Chinese. And what, what he was saying this morning is that the states are all bidding to get ventilators against each other. <laughs> so the vendors are saying, well, who's going to pay the most? And then FEMA came in. And said, well, we want to buy them, and so they can offer more because it's government funding, you yeah. know, federal government. So we have a situation where people are crying out and saying, which I agree with, doesn't matter where you're coming from, let's help each other by saying, if you've got more, uh, then help the guys who've got less. Right. And we've all, this is about, we, one, of the, one of the things that I found so inspiring is, you know what, this is all about humanity now. And we have to step up and, and, and practice humanity mm. uh, and see how much we can do for other people. Because if it was you, God forbid, and your family, you want people to come and help you. Absolutely. And the only way people come and help you is if you step up to help others. Mm. Because then you can expect or help, ask people to help you. But if you're sitting saying, I don't care, I just want to look after myself, uh, we won't get through this in the same way that we're going to. And I do want to say that and be optimistic. We will get through it. It's frightening, but we will get through it. Now, I had lunch with you just two months ago. I think it was maybe maybe a little bit less than two months ago, and the world was a totally different place. How do you, and, and based on what you've just said about humanity and you know those who have helping those who don't, how do you think this is going to change the world? I mean, it's a, it's a tough question, but how would you like to see the world learn from this and where would you like to see us go afterwards? No, I think it's a great question. I don't think there's a single person uh, who doesn't think about how has this changed my life. And mm -hmm. when you talk to anybody, most people are saying, you know, they're just getting a wake-up call regarding uh, what's important. Yeah. What is your value system? And everybody will basically say, my value system is my family, my friends, other people. People are devastated with regards to business. Mm. But, and that's a real issue. And this government has been amazing with a $2 trillion stimulus package to help businesses from going under. Yeah. But in the end, Gareth, it doesn't matter if you've got money or you don't have money. If you're sick and you get this virus, you know what? It doesn't matter how much money you've got. You, you, can, you know, there's always people with money are, are, basically likely to get better medical care mm. but at this time nobody's been told they don't they can't get a ventilator mm. they are available and everybody will be taken care of but to your point i think what we what will happen is people are going to get their priorities a lot straighter we're going to be able to work more from home we're going to be able to help people virtually we're going to realize that we are one community within your small within your house your bigger house I mean, it takes a village. And, you know, in Judaism, there's a beautiful saying, you know, when you save a life, you save the world. Uh, it's, if, if, if ever at a time it was true. Yeah. 
it's a, it's a beautiful saying. You save a life. You help somebody. You're helping the world because we're all in it. Gareth, we've never had a time. I know there's the Second World War, you know, but I'm talking about our generation. Yeah. For most of us, we don't know what it's like. Where the world's under threat, everything's upside down. I, I think everybody, I'm sure you're dealing with it. People must be so anxious that you are playing an incredible role just being able to have people call in and talk to you. I mean, what you're saying is so right because a lot of people in my generation and younger haven't really had to deal with the kind of adversity that, that maybe you know many older generations have and the kind of, um, of, of earth-shattering change that while we were dealing with change on a daily basis, there wasn't this big world event in our lifetimes. I mean, you could maybe say 9-11, but I don't think it's had as much effect as this. This will have a much deeper and wider effect. And I keep thinking of, you know, Viktor Frankl and his incredible writings after having been in those concentration camps um, about how, you know, if, if everything is changing around you and you have no control of that, then take control of yourself. And I think maybe this is forcing right. people to do that. 100%, 100%. Let me just say something that I think is important for people to understand. How do we really fight this virus? We're all doing what we can, yeah. you know, social distancing and um, quarantine. Yeah. But in the end, medical science will take this, device, this, this virus down. And that's going to be medications that will kill it. Yes. Just like when you have a bacterial infection, thank God we got antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And you remember the days with polio? Yes. You know, and measles. We've now got vaccines. That's why people don't get that anymore. So everybody is really thousands and thousands of scientists and pharmaceutical companies are working on drugs to fight this and vaccines. And I think within a year we will see, you know, a huge, you know, improvement in the situation because of that. So right now you've heard of hydroxychloroquine and z yeah. and maybe zinc. Right. Um, but we don't, we don't have proof yet. So people are scrambling to take these things. Um, people are asking me, should I take it, shouldn't I take it? And in some hospitals, people are getting that because we're going, well, we don't have much else. You should try it. Mm. But there's lots of studies going on with the remdesivir, which is a very, you know, which is a hopeful antiviral that was, work, that was uh, used for Ebola. And yeah. so we are testing a lot of new antivirals uh, other drugs, these you know, anti-malaria drugs like chloroquine, um, and um, vaccines are going to be on the way. It's coming. Let me add one other thing: do your best to boost your immune system. Yeah, that's what's so important. Because in the end, just like we said, people who are vulnerable are the ones whose immune systems are compromised. Which, as you get older, your immune system. Well, not we, as good we as obviously, we're staring down the barrel of a gun in this country because of so many people whose immune systems are already compromised by HIV. Right. People who have TB, um, you know, it's, it's, right. it's endemic. I mean, there's, we've, we've got a big problem in this country. If it, if it gets into certain parts of South Africa, it can really do a huge amount of damage in a very short time. That's why I think we really got to give credit to uh, Cyril Ramaphosa because he stepped in and he yeah. said, we've got to do this right from the beginning. And it's a terrible thing to try to do lockdown mm. for a whole nation. But just like you said, the consequences of this going, spreading, you know, exponentially will be devastating for any country. Like you've already seen Italy, Spain, and look what's actually happening all over the world. 
But in South Africa, it would be terrible because of the close quarters and the fact that so many people are immunocompromised. I actually look at the numbers every single day in South Africa. And I just looked today, there are only about 1,300 cases and three deaths. But it's the beginning. And that's what the hope is, that you don't have a big spike in in, in the curve, that it just stays flat and then drops off. And that's the hope when you quarantine early. I think a lot of us in South Africa are, are holding up as well as we can. We don't know, like like you don't, when this is going to be over. We don't know what the eventual costs will be, but we know they're going to be quite huge. And I think everybody's just got to put their head down and do their best. And and as you said, you know, help each other out. Be kind. Do as much as you yeah. can for other people because um, w- one day it's going to be your turn and you're going to need someone to help you. Right. So, you know, well said, and I think practice humanity is a beautiful way to put it. And just to your other point, I think it's so important. People get so anxious when they're reading and seeing all this stuff. And just remember, half of it's fake news. Yeah. And so what you're doing is a wonderful thing, Gareth. Talk to people who actually are in the know. Make sure you know where you're getting your information from, reliable sources. And don't be alone, even if you are alone. Yeah. Uh, you know, my whole family, my mother lives in South Africa. We all try to FaceTime her every day just for a few minutes. Because for the first time in her life, she said to me, I'm lonely. Wow. Nobody from the retirement village comes to visit. Nobody wants to come inside. No. We're, we and don't they, and realize. And they can't, well, right? I mean, that would be a terrible no, – you, you don't right, want them exactly. to. Yeah. So we're really in a situation where just reaching out to somebody with a virtual hug makes a huge difference. Well, I thank you so much for your time. Mazel tov on your new granddaughter. Thank That's you, Gareth. All the best. Keep thank up you, the Dan. great Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Be safe. Be safe.